knowing instinctively that she would be willing to talk to him. Ever since he was a child, Ardern had been able to make people do what he wanted. Some said he was possessed by demons, and that his ability to impose his will on others was the devil at work. Others said he was an angel. Ardern knew neither was true. He was just a man who knew how to use his good looks and unusually arresting blue eyes as a means to getting his own way. He beckoned the woman towards him. As expected, she approached without demur. He asked directions to the town's most comfortable inn and was aware of her appreciative gaze following him as he drove away. Most women found him attractive and he was used to adoring stares. Indeed, he expected them and would have been disconcerted if Cambridge's females had been different from those in the many other towns he had graced with his presence. The landlord of the Angel Tavern on Bennett Street was named Hugh Candleby. He was not particularly amenable company, but Ardern soon won him round, and it was not long before they were enjoying a comradely jug of ale together. Ardern's pale eyes gleamed when Candleby described how the plague had taken most of the town's medical practitioners, leaving just four physicians and one surgeon. The physicians were all university men and were saddled with heavy teaching loads on top of tending their patients. Ardern almost laughed aloud. It was perfect. Now all he needed was a house where he could set up his practice, preferably one that reflected his status as a man who attended monarchs and high-ranking nobles, and a week or two to reconnoitre and rest his travel-weary bones. And then, he determined, Cambridge would never be the same again. Cambridge, three weeks later. Lady Day. Walter de Wenden was not a good man. As a priest, he had been appointed rector to several different parishes, but he never visited them. He did not care about the welfare of the people he was supposed to serve, and he did not care about his crumbling country churches. He hired vicars to perform the necessary rites, of course, but the plague had taken so many clergy that it was difficult to find decent replacements, especially for the pittance he was willing to pay. So his flocks were in the hands of half-literate boys and dissolute rogues who would have been defrocked had the death not created such a desperate shortage of ordained men. But, as long as his parishes paid the tithes they owed him, Wendon seldom gave them a moment's thought. He was not a man given to introspection. But he was reflecting on his life as he walked home from visiting his friend Roger Honning of Zachary Hostel. Hostels were buildings that contained a handful of students and a principal who taught them and were invariably poor. Honning was better off than most. He could afford a fire when he wanted and there was always food on the table. But even so, the flaking plaster and mildew-stained cushions made the fastidious Wendon shudder. He was a fellow of Clare, a college that enjoyed the patronage of the wealthy Lady Elizabeth de Bourgh, granddaughter of the first King Edward. His room was tastefully furnished, and he could afford the best meat, decent wines, and dried fruit imported at great expense from France. He allowed himself a self-satisfied smile. He thought about the evening he had just spent. 
Honning and his students had been discussing blood relics, an issue so contentious that it was threatening to tear the church in half, with Dominicans on one side and Franciscans on the other. Wendon was not particularly interested in the debate. He was not very interested in scholarship at all, if the truth be known, and was only allowed to keep his Clare Fellowship because he had promised to leave them all his money when he died. He had tried to change the subject. Usually he and Honning talked about mundane matters, such as the gambling sessions they both enjoyed on Friday nights or the slipping of standards among bakers since the plague. But Honning was an excellent teacher and his students were bright lads. Wendon had become intrigued by the complex twists and turns of the various arguments, despite his natural antipathy to anything that involved serious thought. Unfortunately, it meant he was later leaving Zachary Hostel than he had intended. It was already dark.